Sleepy Hollow is a place like no other. A place where the forces of good and evil collide for the fate of the world. Prophecies foretold witnesses destined to protect us all. But will they prevail? Armed with keen insights and the ability to see into dark realms. Well, maybe. Barb and Steve help decipher The Witness Prophecies, a fan podcast dedicated to Sleepy Hollow on Fox. Welcome back, Sleepyheads. This is episode 41 of Witness Prophecies. I'm Steve, and he gives people something they all need. Hope. And I'm Barb. And this has been a night to remember. Today, we're going to be discussing the fourth Sleepy Hollow episode of season four entitled The People vs. Ichabod Crane, which was written by Sam Clayson and directed by Jim O'Hallen. And Steve, I don't know about you, but I thought it was a night to remember. Oh, absolutely. It was a fantastic episode. Yeah, I really enjoyed this one. There was nostalgia. We saw some characters we haven't seen in a while. And we actually saw Ichabod vulnerable. Yes, very vulnerable. Yeah, like almost dead vulnerable. (laughs) Yeah. So we're going to have a fun time talking about this tonight, I think. I think so. How about getting us started with the recap? I can do that, Steve. Ichabod Crane is encased in a black spider silk cocoon, and in his mind, he is on trial for murder, accused by his son, Henry Parrish. Jenny Mills enlists the assistance of Jake Wells and Alex Norwood to find Crane after finding the black spider silk goo in his apartment. Jake discovers that the substance, Sicarius Spee, is the slayer of hope. It is despair. It was identified by Benjamin Franklin, and Grace Dixon destroyed it by creating a fire of joy. They determine the ingredients they need to make the fire and begin collecting them. When Jenny is arrested at the Aberdeen Proving Grounds while trying to find the cave where Crane is imprisoned, Diana Thomas arrives to free her and to help her find him. The Sicarius Spee attacks them, and when Diana shoots it, Crane begins to bleed. They must leave and find another way to free him from the cocoon. Meanwhile, Crane is on trial in his illusion, and his prosecutor is his son, Henry Parrish. Henry accuses him of the murder of Grace Abigail Mills, his partner, and says that everyone around him dies. Crane defends himself as Henry continues his attack, trying to make him feel guilty for all he has allegedly done. While Alex and Jake are obtaining 10th century Chinese welding torches, they watch Job steal drawings from the Smithsonian and kill the security guard, and they realize that Malcolm Dreyfus and his assistant have demonic ties. Jenny, Diana, Jake, and Alex go to the cave, cut the spider ties, kill the Sicarius Spee, and free Crane from his cocoon. However, he doesn't revive. Crane's soul is adrift, and he needs an anchor to this world. Diana calls Molly and asks her to talk about the man in her sketchbook, Mr. Crane. Molly says she would tell him to never give up hope. Crane revives. He heard Abby's words in Molly's voice. There is much that they will need to discuss. With the mission accomplished, Alex and Jake leave the vault. The inert black goo in the jar, Alex's souvenir, suddenly comes to life and we see a face. That was kind of creepy. They thought that thing was dead. Yeah, very creepy. And it wasn't. No. All right, Steve, what kind of news do we have? All right. We have uh, Live Plus 7-Day Ratings in for Episode 2, In Plain Sight. 
It tied for 15th in adults 18 to 49 percentage gain, going from a 0.6 to a 1.0 for an increase of 67%, and was 6th in viewers percentage gain, going from 2.139 to 3.638 million viewers for an increase of 70%. Very nice numbers. Very nice indeed. For episode three, Heads of State, the final ratings were a 0.5 and a two share in 18 to 49 with 1.9 million viewers. Now, this week's episode, episode four, The People vs. Ichabod Crane, the preliminary ratings, a 0.6 and a two share in 18 to 49 with 2.15 million viewers, which was a slight increase over the previous week. And we happened to see Emerald City drop. So maybe we pulled some of our old uh, Sleepy Hollow followers back over to our side, maybe. I was delighted to see that slight increase that we went back up. We kind of popped back up to 2.5. And, you know, the week before we were at 1.9, but in episode two, we were at, uh, what, 2.14. So I certainly think that that was some good news uh, to see, again, that little increase. Yep, I think so, too. Yeah. So, Steve, how did you rate this episode? Oh, I gave this episode a... 10 out of 10, Winters of Our Discontent. Wow, you did like it. Oh, yeah. I gave it nine vaporized security guards. And uh, Justina gave it nine out of 10 pieces of pizza against the rules. And she has that cute little pizza emoticon in there, right? (laughs) Which is so cute. Makes you hungry. Annette gave it the best nine. And then she put behind that, what's that, a whole bunch of stars and smiley faces and All kinds of celebrations, so I think that she liked it quite a bit as well. And then Julie gave it nine jars of icky spidey goo. Looks like a lot of the folks that gave us feedback really enjoyed this episode. Yep, and that's fantastic. It is indeed. Appreciate all your feedback. All right, we're going to get started with Ichabod. And this was really a tough episode for Ichabod. He was basically on trial against himself. In his mind. Yes, in his mind. But with a demon, because that icky demon kind of did it. Yeah. And we see him in this cocoon of black spider silk. And I was worried when I saw that, because the last time I saw people in a cocoon, that was under the dome. And I know that we have one listener that's just going to just groan when they hear this. (laughs) And, And all I thought about was... Ooh, you know, all the people were in cocoons and they had this pink purpley goo coming from them. And here we have poor Crane and he's got this black goo. And I'm like, please don't let this be like under the dome because they were all in a cave also. Uh-huh, and they were having exactly. these illusions and dreams. And I'm like, oh, writers, don't go there. Just don't go there. <laughs> don't go there. Yeah, I tried to put it more as a spider carbonite. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But that was interesting. Yes, it sure was. A lot of different possible callbacks to that one. <laughs> yeah. Of course, he awakens in a courtroom in cha- in chains and the crowd's calling him a murderer. And um, he gets accused of abdicating his responsibilities as a witness, accused of the murder of Abby. And Crane wants to know who's making this accusation. And of course, the doors open and in walks. Father. Hello, Father. Oh, my goodness. Good old Henry Parrish, a.k.a. Jeremy Crane. So great to see John Noble back. It was wonderful. I thoroughly enjoyed John Noble's acting. Yes, because he was on 
point the whole episode in his um, interrogation of Crane, because he really points out that, hey, Crane, you've only been away from Abby for two months and you've already got a new crew and you haven't even grieved yet. I know. And I think that's, you know, that that's sort of the, in a way that was a little bit of the voice of the audience, you know, where's, where's Crane's grief? Right. And so I think we saw some pretty good explanation for that from Crane. And certainly he said, you know, he was grieving, but he also knew that they had responsibilities and they were aware of the danger too, that they were soldiers in this war. And in this war, you don't get a day off to grieve. No, but Henry turned around and went right back at him with, you know, here are all the other people that died, you know, including my mother, right? Abraham, my mom, me. Yeah. (laughs) And then now what, you've put a child at risk? Boy, and if that wasn't a uh, punch to the gut. Yeah. And this was after Crane realized that it wasn't actually Henry, that I guess when they shot the, the monster and it hurt Crane, it was enough to make it flicker enough to where the face turned into the face of the monster just for a brief second. So Crane knew that this wasn't real. And I thought it was interesting how the monster seemed to go into, again, his memories, his brain, and pull it out, you know, that Henry is the great pain. And so the demon became Henry, in essence. Right. Of course, I love the way Crane did handle it after he realized that it wasn't Henry. Bring it on. I know you're a monster, but I'm going to take advantage of this and tell my son how much I love him. And, you know, and that was interesting because then you could see the demon, although, and that's what surprised me because you would think that the demon would have no feelings and could care less, but you could almost see the incredible pain on Henry's face when that happened. And he started to tear up. I thought he was going to cry and just that incredible pain. And I thought, well, is there truly some part of Henry that is alive, even within that demon, within that memory? And of course, on Sleepy Hollow, anything goes. So I'm sure that's quite possible. Right. And yeah, it was fantastic to see Crane take the offensive and see how uncomfortable it made the demon because it did get to him. It definitely did. Although I got to tell you when at first when that demon was shot and we saw the blood coming out of Crane's shoulder in his illusion and also in the cocoon, you thought, oh my gosh. And (laughs) it was interesting to watch Ichabod because I think... And I'm really trying to remember, I think this is the first time we have really, truly seen him hurt and bleeding, isn't it? I'm, yes. I'm trying to reach back in my memories. <laughs> and some of the pain and despair that he had, or that Tom Meissen, that Tom Meissen used to p- play the character of Ichabod, and the look of abject despair that he managed to portray a few times. I mean, Tom Meissen did an incredible job acting. Oh, yes, he yes. really did. and. All of a sudden, the courtroom is clear, and it's just him and Henry, and you see the noose hanging there, and you go, no, Crane, don't do it. And then you have a commercial break, and we're all like, no, no. Everyone takes to to Twitter, no, don't do it. And you hear from, hello, father, to goodbye, father. I'll leave you alone to do what's right. So he gets up there and he gets that noose around his neck. And fortunately, by this time, he's out of the cocoon, but he's still adrift. And Jenny and Diana 
get his anchor for him. They certainly did. His new witness. And she nailed it to a T. She did. And the fact that she's just speaking it and she doesn't really know what she's speaking. And I think that we have a lot more to learn about how these pieces of Abby's soul have transferred to the new witness. You said it here. Molly is going to speak Abby's words to Crane and that becomes his anchor. Right. And everything she said, it was hard not to hear Abby's voice saying those words. I know, especially after we had already seen a clip with Abby during the trial. Because we got to see, what during that uh, clip, we got to see Abby. We saw Crane's wife. Right. We saw Jeremy. Right, being buried. And that was very tough. I mean, he was seeing all the people. He was seeing a lot of the people that had been hurt and injured. And again, how could these memories that are so uniquely Crane's and Abby's end up in Molly's? Well, at least the words, the words that Abby spoke. How could those uniquely end up in Molly's brain for her so to say could, them? Yeah. Right. That's got me very curious because, like I said, those are words Abby would have used. And well, and she did use them. She used yes. them at the end of season three. And mm-hmm. it was interesting because here at the beginning of season three, Crane, or in the middle, I guess, of season three, Crane was the anchor for Abby. To bring her back from the Hidden One's place. And now she, through Molly, was the anchor to bring him back. So I thought that was a nice bookend. Yes, absolutely. Unfortunately, we didn't really get a whole lot of our normal Ichabod in this episode. It was all in his head, so... He was in a cocoon. Yeah, how about moving on to Jenny? We can do that. Okay, and so we really got to see... Some real interesting sides of Jenny. And first she went to Molly and Diana's because she and Crane were supposed to meet there. They were going to have a chitty chat with Diana, but Crane wasn't there. And she's like, oh, I wonder why he didn't meet me. And of course, Diana says, go away. And so then Jenny goes to Crane's apartment and goes and looking for him with his lack of an appropriate deadbolt or lock, you know, that a five-year-old could break into as she... Right rather dismissively said. And then she sees all the black goo and the spidey stuff. And when she stepped in that black goo on the floor, I thought, rut-row. Yeah, it's going to get her. Uh, It's going to get her now, too. And I thought, oh, dear. But so here's the question, though, is that if she tracked it all over the place, she stepped on it the way that Crane did, and it stuck to his boot, then why didn't it end up going back with her, like, to the vault or somewhere else where it could expand? Well, maybe it it did in a way. We can talk about that. Maybe Mm -hmm. it did. But I thought, oh, no, do not let Jenny get sucked into this, too, because our brand new team is not going to know how to get both of them back. They don't have that experience yet. (laughs) They don't. But when she took it to Alex and Jake, they identified it as spider silk. And they explained to her kind of what this stuff was. Then they said, "Okay, here's what we need to do. Here's what here's some things we need to go get. Crane is in a cave. And we'll talk about Jake and Alex in a little bit. But Jenny went to the Aberdeen Proving Grounds which are in uh, Maryland, north of D.C. So to get in there while she's trying to look for the cave on the grounds, you know, she goes all like, what should I call it? Like Valley Girl, right? Yeah. (laughs) I'm looking for my boyfriend. He was ahead of me. I don't know where he is, right? Like, duh, help me. I'm so sorry. I don't know what I'm doing. And then the wire cutters fall out of her bag, busted. And so she's sitting in there, arrested by the soldiers, She's picking the lock 
And then Diana shows up, right? Yeah. Yeah. I could have gotten myself out of this. Uh, Yeah, sure. You could have. Yeah. Next bathroom break, I was going to get out of there on my own. Yeah. And I thought, "Uh uh-huh. And so at that point in time, Diana's like, you know, good grief. You know, I'm going to come and get you out of here just because the bottom line is Jenny and Crane have helped Diana. So she's going to turn around and and release Jenny. And then Jenny's like, look, this is what's going on. This is why we're here. And Diana says, hey, basically, I've read your file. You've been in (laughs) an asylum. I know what you've done. And I know you're, you know, basically, you're kind of bad news. And Jenny says, hey, listen, you can try and deny this all you want and what's happening, just the way that Abby did. But the bottom line is it's going to catch up to you. And I think that was one of the first of several good heart-to-heart discussions that we saw Jenny and Diana have throughout this episode. And this is what we talked about last week. Exactly. That this was probably going to be the only way to get Diana on board. Yep. Through Jenny's experiences and what she could teach Diana and Molly from them. Yep. And we took our first few steps in that direction in this episode. Yeah. And Crane sort of sealed the deal at the end. Yeah. But again, they did find Crane in the cocoon. Then um, Spidey, I'm going to call him Spidey. Spidey. (laughs) Spidey. Spidey jumped down. Not a good Spidey. Spidey jumped down, tried to get them away from Crane. Diana shoots him. Jenny sees that Crane is bleeding and that it's hurting Crane. So they say, okay, we've got to abandon this. We've got to find a different way to attack the Spidey webs around Crane. So we're going to have to leave him for a while. Yeah, because Jenny notices that these aren't normal webs. They seem to be more nerve-like. Yes. The knives were not cutting them. No, nothing was working to get him out. So then they had to take off to the vault to go find their experts. But Jenny did tell Diana that they could help each other, that Abby and Crane could pull each other back from different worlds. And I think that it was this conversation that set up the ending. Right. That this was a gift, and it was not something to be afraid of. And then Jenny told Diana about her mom, her mom and Abby's mom, you know, and that it was them against the world and that her mom couldn't do it all on her own. In in other words, Diana, my mom couldn't do it to protect Abby and me. You can't do it by yourself to protect Molly. I'll let you figure that out, but figure it out pretty quickly. Yeah. Won't take long. First monster and if it gets close to Molly will be the, uh, the icing on the cake that brings her back full force. And now I think that where Diana showed, again, some of her ability to bring something to this team yes, was when Jenny went to get the explosives right, that they needed. And they had to go to what? I guess it was basically like a biker bar. Yes, it was. With a really t- tough-looking guy there. Right, who apparently Jenny might have screwed over a couple of times because he wasn't real happy to see her. No, he wasn't, was he? And he wasn't going to do her any favors. No. Until Diana saw the tattoo and she called him out. And she called him a couple of things that I'm not going to repeat. Please feel yeah. free to if you'd like to. But <laughs> yeah, I um, yeah. refrain from using that phrase in this episode as well. Yeah, the, sorry, guys. So this is a G-rated to. podcast, so we're not going to do it. But you know what phrase we're talking about. Yes. And then ultimately, once they got everything that they needed, then while Alex and Jake were trying to free Crane from the cocoon 
and Jenny and Diana were trying to get Spidey to follow them so they could blast Spidey as soon as Crane was free from the Spidey web. Then Spidey came after Diana and Jenny blasted Spidey into smithereens. And I think at that point in time, we got to see Jenny again being the um, <clears throat> BA that has been said that she will be this season, and she has been. Jenny has been completely on her game, but to watch her take down the Spidey to be the person with the guards at Aberdeen being, oh, I made such a mistake. I don't know anything. And then watching her get caught a little bit flat-footed in the biker bar and being rescued by Diana, Lindy Greenwood just played a range with her character, and it was very fun to watch. Yes, it was. And speaking of Diana getting... Jenny out of that mess in the biker bar. She starts off on the wrong foot because Jenny comes over there wanting to talk to them and Molly is not having any of it. No way, no how. You turn your right around and go back where you came from. She was not even open to discussion at the beginning of the episode. Yeah, Diana's like, stay away from my kid. And Molly's like, I've been told by my mommy I'm not allowed to talk to you all anymore. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Kids Even are though honest. she never talked to him anyway. Uh, no, uh, Molly talked to Jenny when Jenny protected her from the bully. Oh, no, she didn't talk to she her. She hadn't talked to You're her. You're right. Yeah, she she had not talked talk. to her. Yes. And so the only thing, the only interaction they've had is... Hello. Hello. So neither Crane or Jenny have had any interaction with Molly, really. And, um, of course, it takes a phone call from Jake saying that, Crane and Jenny are in trouble, and they need her help. And lo and behold, she shows up and uh, gets uh, Jenny out of there. They helps them find the cave, and is you almost go, wow, that didn't take long. She's back with the team. And it was interesting that Jake managed to have so much pull over Diana based on their very short relationship. Right, because... They're just as new to her as Crane is, basically. Yeah, so, and so I think that somewhere deep down inside, Diana probably had a little bit of guilt of, okay, he saved my life, and this is my opportunity to save his, and then, you know, we're done, we call it a day, it's a tie, and it didn't quite work out that way for her. Right. She didn't say it, but that's what I was kind of thinking. Yeah, I tend to agree with you there, because after the last episode, for any normal mom, it would be very difficult to help anybody that had told you that. But her being that type of person where I can't leave a debt unpaid, that's kind of, you know, military, no one's left behind type of uh, mentality. So she is there the whole time, gets into the cave. Of course, she hates spiders. And who doesn't really? Especially big ones. Just smash um, them with your shoe. But that Spidey was a little big. You need a pr pretty big shoe to yeah. smash him. But Corey did a fantastic job with it. Yes, he did. Of course, Diana does get a shot in, but of course, that also injures Crane. Now, it was interesting to hear Diana's thoughts when they found out Grace Dixon had discovered the fires of joy to um, get rid of the um, monster in at Valley Forge. And that that and was that also it, their great, great, great grandmother. Right. And Jenny's right. You know, it it's all tied together. It's not a coincidence. Right. And so it'll 
be interesting to find out where that connection is with Diana. And I, I still think it's with the baby daddy. It could be. It's got to be somewhere. They have to be blood relatives somewhere. Yes, they're, somewhere. They're related in the they're related on their family tree. Yep. Now it was interesting to see what Molly was doing. She was watching TV and eating pizza. Not allowed. <laughs> right. <laughs> Typical kid. Mom's not here. I'm doing it yeah. anyway. Right. And of course, Diana doesn't want to be too late, but she does say that tell Jenny that Molly does have a mind of her own and that Molly is her anchor. So that should prove to be interesting as well. How Molly is all of a sudden going to be the strong one and get Diana and Crane through some tough times, I'm afraid. She's still a child. It's still mm-hmm. gonna be this is still gonna be a tough one. Yeah. And of course it was fantastic to see how she dealt with the uh Marine behind the bar. And, of course, they get the explosives that they need. Now, of course, when they go back in for round two with the monster, he kind of knocks Diana around real good. She's going to have to work on her uh, fighting uh, the supernatural skills. Skills, yeah. Do you think they offer that at a community college? No, but I'm sure um, Lindy would be more than happy to uh, <laughs> give her some uh, pointers. Yeah, her and Alex and Jake at all at the same time. Right. It's a class. Yes, I can see the, um, what is it? What was it? Karate Kid type of uh, (laughs) scenario. (laughs) I thought it was very intelligent that Diana told Molly to look at the picture of Mr. Crane, and you do so good at creating stories about something you're seeing. Tell us a story about Mr. Crane. And Molly just goes right into it. He's a nice, he's kind, but he's sad because he feels like he's alone, but he's not alone. Everybody's there for him. And you go, wow. What I thought was interesting is that when Diana realized that Crane was not tethered to this world and he needed to be pulled back in, he needed an anchor. The fact that Diana pulled out her phone and called her daughter means she truly listened to what Jenny had to say. Right. And that she actually believed Jenny. Because if she had not mm-hmm. have believed Jenny, she would not have done anything like that. No. So some of Jenny's words definitely sunk in to Diana. And at least she was willing to try to see if that was the case. Instead of just keeping Molly completely out of it. So, boy, Diana went through some a mighty range of emotion there <laughs> in this episode. She almost seemed resigned when she called her daughter as if... You're right, Jenny. I can't escape this. I am going to have to deal with it. I have to save this man who saved my life, and I have to use my daughter to do it. Yeah, the the look between Jenny and Diana, just to, she, you know, as she gets the phone out, you see the despair on Jenny's face. Like, please help save him. And um, yeah, Diana just kind of was. Yeah, I guess I got to do this, not wanting to, but knowing it was the right thing to do. Right. All right. How about Alex and Jake? Okay. Our little buddies, Alex and Jake, whom I still just think are so much fun, (laughs) especially Jake. So Alex did her part. She used her spectrometer to analyze the goo, and she probably made it herself. It was a 10% unknown protein and 90% ferric hydroxide. And she said it was spider silk. She also said that this would not like the light. And so that's 
partly where she got the idea of, okay, we've got to use some light on it. But then Jake, who is incredible, brilliant mind, he's apparently gone through all this stuff in the vault. He knows where things are because he said, hey, wait a minute, I read something, one of Benjamin Franklin's journals from 1778, that Franklin found this substance in Maryland. And he said, okay, hey, we can get on with this. And he's the person who deciphered Grace Dixon's account and that they learned that the creature radiated feelings of the despair and that many men kill themselves during Valley Forge during that terrible winter from the the quotation, these are the men that try men's souls. And so they hypothesized that what this really was is that this, you know, spidey demon was out and he was the one that was creating the despair and causing these men to die and or to commit suicide. And he figured out from the writings of Grace Dixon that she was the one that actually found this real fire that would stop Spidey, this fire of joy, and mm-hmm. it would stop. And, and that's how they also figured out that the Cave of Despair was where they could find Crane more likely than not at the Aberdeen Proving Grounds. Right. And, of course, Alex is so skeptical about this. She's going along for the ride, and Jake is just in his glory. Yeah. <laughs> when he said that their days of just sitting around are done. And I thought, <laughs> I thought, honey, you don't know what you're in for. No, you don't. <laughs> no. But, and then he kind then they kind of found out. Yeah. Yeah. Because when they went to get the, what, 10th century Chinese welding torches that they were going to need to get Spidey, the Spidey webs, the Pen Hu Kui, I guess, my Chinese isn't very good, Mandarin, whatever. <laughs> As they're procuring these little goodies, they hear a noise and it's, oops, the security guard. So, of course, very wisely, they duck and hide. And, of course, they've gotten to the Smithsonian vaults, this underground storage, because they know the tunnels. Right. And they know where to find everything and they bring back almost everything that they borrow, almost (laughs) being the key word. But when they duck and hide and the security guard comes down, the security guard isn't exactly alone for very long. No, he isn't. And who should show up but? Job. Oh, yeah. And Job gets this guy in a chokehold as he's looking for some drawings in another drawer. At first, I was concerned that he was going to go after the same things that they were after. Right. Fortunately, that wasn't the case. No. Unfortunately, the guard got vaporized once Job found what he needed. Yeah, it was... Amazing to see him, you know, first he just picks him up by his hand and has him up there and then lets go. And the guy's still midair choking to death while he goes and finds the map, opens it up. Yep, that's what I need. Okay. Puts it back in the tube. And as he's walking out, he just kind of snaps his finger and the guy just goes poof. Poof. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Ooh. And then there's that little like. <gasps> yeah. And Job stops and pauses and turns around. And looks and says, I'll let him be for this time. And I thought, I wonder how well his spidey sense is really working. Yeah. Because, of course, after that, Alex is like, uh, really? You sure you're, you want to be all in for this? You're really sure about what you're getting into? Prepared for everything? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think this was critical. And this is, that was really a big piece to move the story forward. Yes. Because now they all know that Job and Malcolm Dreyfus have a demonic connection. Right. And are definitely up to no good. 
And as Diana and Jenny both wisely said, okay, great info. Guys, we've got to go save Crane first. first Clearly, yeah. that's a priority <laughs> here. And then, of course, they get down in the cave. Alex has put together her torch toys, being the very creative and smart person that she is and likes to play with that stuff. And she's coaching Alex. Hey, you got this. You got to do this. Remember, equal pressure, blah, blah, blah. Oh, I got it. I got it. Poof. Yeah. <laughs> but together they managed uh, to work and break the spidey links so that then Diana and Jenny can zap the monster without hurting Crane. Right. Which was a beautiful thing. And then they got down to the end and they had that little jar. And we might talk about that at the end instead. Yeah. Because that little inert black goo, why would you take a jar of the inert black goo? And I suppose that's just because Alex has that curious scientific mind and she wants to kind of look at it and examine it. And Jake's like, don't you think you ought to get that thing out of here? Right. Well, Jake was dead on correct on that. But if they chucked it in the trash, it probably just would have appeared and gotten someone else. So, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that's... uh. So Evil Spidey, we may see Evil Spidey again this season. Yes, I think we will. Uh, we could. So speaking of our resident evil. Yeah, good old Malcolm. Didn't see much of him, but what we did see was quite interesting. First, they open up with the discussion between him and Job. Job's asking him how his doctor appointment went. Malcolm says, well, the doc says I'm going to live till 85, but... By that time, I'm only going to be getting started. Does that sound like a whiny one a little bit to you? Uh-huh. Very narcissistic. Especially, yes, especially when he goes, the world needs me to have more time. Yeah, and I thought, really? We just got rid of the hidden one <laughs> last season. Do we really need such another narcissistic, evil person? Like, ugh, good grief. Yeah, but their Job is tracked down where this map of ley lines will be delivered to the Smithsonian in the evening, which seems to be one of their missing pieces to be able to find the rest of the pieces that they need to assemble whatever hideous device they're trying to assemble. Yeah, I got the impression that the ley lines were going to tell them where they could assemble where the pieces. Build it. Yeah. Right. And it was interesting because, of course, we used ley lines at the end of last season to try and take out a whiny one and Pandora. Yep. And so I thought, huh, this is interesting. So we can talk about this under theories because I've got a couple ideas and I think you do too. Right. And, of course, we already mentioned Job going into the um, Smithsonian and taking care of the guard with Jake and Alex hiding in the corner about to wet themselves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, of course, we also got to see our monster of the week, not only as the spider creature, but also as Henry Parrish. Yeah, it was kind of a Henry demon, Sicarius bee or spy, all rolled into one. Yeah, but played once again so fabulously by the one, the only John Noble. And we all love having John Noble on our TVs. Yes, and he's supposed to be back. Yes, and he did a fantastic job playing this combination of many different things. Because, of course, the first thing that comes out is Crane's being accused of killing Abby. You go, what? And then it builds on, well, and Abraham, and Henry, and Katrina, 
And it's like, yeah, you're really knowing which buttons to push on your father. And he should. Well, now, they're also Crane's memories and probably some of his deep guilt that, you know, maybe he has right. buried. The, yes. the regret that he has had at mm-hmm. seeing people die. Yes. And we've known that he had those deep regrets for Abraham, Henry, and Katrina. And it's only 10 times stronger for Abby. So, yeah, it was kind of easy pickings to uh, <laughs> get to Crane that way. And then, of course, he also brings up the fact that, yes, we've got a new crew and there's a child involved. And are you going to be able to have that death on your conscience as well? He opens the baby coffin and all we see at first is just smoke in there. But Crane sees a vision of dead Molly, Diana, Jenny, Alex and Jake. And that just about pushed Crane over the edge. Yeah, because we know that Spidey Demon has already seen Diana, Jenny, Alex, and Jake in the tunnel, or will see them, I guess, or was seeing them at the same time. But Molly he hadn't seen except only through Crane's thoughts and memories. So as far as it's concerned, Crane will always be guilty. Tells Crane he knows what he needs to do and shows him the nose and, of course, says goodbye, Father. Horrible. Yes. And you just, like we said before, don't do it, Crane, don't do it. But he was determined. Well, he was in the grips of the monster. I mean, it is right. the slayer of hope. It is despair. Right. And once you get to that point, the only thing you can do to get out of that is to end it. Right. And that's basically what both Franklin and Grace Dixon noted in their writings that Jake discovered. Right. Is it caused so much despair within the person that, It didn't really drive them crazy to kill themselves. It was too much burden. And the only way they could see getting it off their mind and having peace was to end their life. Yeah, it was interesting what they said, that this monster was the, what, the living embodiment of despair, that it doesn't just kill its victims, it feeds on their misery. Right. Right, until it drives them to kill themselves, and it creates the illusion of a spiritual trial, which is basically what Crane was having. You know, feeding oh, on their guilt. And I think the thing that scared our team the most was that it would spread the feelings of despair to all the people around them. And when they were likening Valley Forge and, hey, if that really did happen at, at Valley Forge, the supernatural experience, then could it also spread then from the cave, from Crane in the cave to all the soldiers at the Aberdeen Proving Grounds? Right. He only had to have one person. And once he got that one person, he was able to kind of spin his webs further out and ensnare more people. Yeah, out of the into the cave of the despair or the Cava Desperavi, I believe they yeah. called it. Yeah. Now of course it was interesting that as soon as the monster got shot, it went exit stage left and got out of there. Some soldier the the demon was. Right. All right. Shall we move on to side notes? Sure, let's do it, Steve. All right. We had a absolutely fantastic guest cast this week with John Noble as Henry Parrish, Kamar Delores as Job, and Anara Tarez as Grace Dixon. Yeah, it was very nice to see Grace Dixon again, even if it was very brief. And it was interesting that she did not interact with Crane or Betsy Ross or anyone else. Right. That it was, uh, she didn't have a single line. N- uh, no, I think that she did, what, very briefly. Didn't we see her say at least one line when we saw her in the flashback? 
or was that only yeah, maybe, as, yeah. maybe as immediately as she got into camp. Right. But it was Jake telling the story right. from her journal. But it was fun to see her nonetheless. Yes. All right. Moving on to theories and prophecies. Diana got yeah. it. Yeah. At least we think so. Yeah. It looks like it. They have a lot to talk about, so Crane says. Yeah. We'll see if she's willing to listen or not. Yeah. And so what are going to be the ground rules as they have the discussion? I mean, is there what isn't exactly a training class on how you be a witness. Uh, how do you interact with the supernatural for children? Right. So it'll be interesting to see how Jenny and Crane and Diana kind of slog through this together. I think it's going to be very difficult. Diana's still going to be very unwilling, but I think that she sees what's happening. I, to me, that would be, make her even more paranoid. I don't know. But that, right. But that maybe that what she'll also see, though, is that the way that Molly pulled Crane back, one day Crane may have to pull Molly back. I think that she'll at least be lis- willing to listen to their stories and what they went through. Well, that'll absolutely scare the Dickens out of her. Yes, it really will. And yeah, I'm afraid she may hit that flight button again and say, nope, we're out of here. I would think that she would have to at some point. Something is going to happen that's going to scare her that she's going to say no. Right. Uh, that is, to me, a very natural reaction. Yes. And right now it seems to me that the writers are kind of working around Molly and they're not introducing her to the danger, which is good because we don't want to see a child in danger. But then again, it's, you know, how is she going to be used for the rest of the season? And this is unfolding very slowly as it should, because I just don't know where we're going to go. Right. That's the, the key to the whole season is how the writers manage to pull this off is whether we'll get another season or not, I'm afraid. I agree. I think with the way last season ended, and if they hit a misstep with Molly, yeah, that might just do it. So keeping our fingers crossed that they manage it properly. Amen. And it will be very interesting now that Alex and Jake saw Job and seeing that Crane and Diana know who he is and that he's part of Dreyfus, will they start looking into what he's up to? I think that that's probably going to happen pretty quickly. I would think so, too. Because Crane and Jenny know that there was something that was being protected. I mean, they put the pieces of the puzzle together last week, but they didn't have a, right. they didn't have a chance to really get into it because Crane was trying to assemble his Ikea bed, and that never happened either. Right. Um, so they've got some... I think they're going to probably sit down, have a serious discussion with Diana about some of the things that they've gone through and then say, okay, what's going on here? And what is the danger? Because we have to address this danger. Otherwise, this danger could come after Molly. Right. So Jake is certainly going to help the team. I mean, I'm wondering, since he knows all this stuff that's down there in the basement of the Smithsonian, the first thing I think that he will do is he's going to identify what was taken. That yes. he'll he'll tell them that it's a map of the ley lines, and he'll probably tell them exactly what it is. Where yep, the, I agree, yeah. and that's going to be with Jake being able to just say, "Okay, here's what's been taken," and he may even be able to put together what their overall plan is just from what is being taken. But they don't know what was really taken because they didn't even know that there was a talisman hidden in the underneath head of, Lincoln's head. Of right. Lincoln, right? Exactly. Good point. But with when they hear. I think that once they hear from Jake, if if Jake can identify that it was the drawing with the ley lines, 
and with the experience that they had last season when they got rid of a whiny one before Pandora uh, kind of took over front and center, I think that then they will start to realize that they are dealing with something very big again. And especially when they hear how Jeb just went poof and vaporized the guard. Right. So what do we think these are pieces to, to what kind of a puzzle? Um, do you think demonic circle to call the four horsemen? Uh, that's kind of what I'm thinking. Or uh, we know it's that the ley lines have always indicated some sort of power because that's what Pandora and a, a whiny one, a hidden one were after last season to get all the right. power. Or could it be different type of a different type of ley lines? I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't think so. I think it's definitely a, they need to tap into that power to basically turn on what they're building. Yeah. So we will just have to wait and find out what exactly they're trying to build, which maybe we've seen doors opened to let Malik come into our realm. Uh, we'll see what interesting thing our writers can come up with that this. Uh, hopefully it will be something that we haven't seen before and be able to go, wow, that's awesome. Cool. What do you think is going to happen with the black spidey goo? Well, I think it's going to show up at the worst possible time. Always does. Of course. And maybe that will be the thing that goes after Molly and is what lets Dreyfus know who the new witness is. Okay, that is creepy, and I really like that thought. <laughs> yeah, so I took a headshot of that last scene with the face that was forming. I took a picture and I put right. it up on our Facebook page. Okay, great. And, and I said, I said here, sleepyheads, whose face do you see in the jar? And so far, let's see, Annette and Julie voted for Henry, and Justina voted for Crane. And I thought that it looked a little bit bald at first. I thought it looked like maybe Benjamin Franklin. <laughs> but but it does look like Crane's nose. So Ooh. I don't know. It's really hard to tell from this picture. So the other sleepyheads, you guys can go out there and put your vote in here before next week because I have a feeling we're going to find out pretty quickly whose face the, the black goo turned into. Yeah, interesting. Now, is our boy uh, Jake going to find himself in a whole mess of trouble before okay. too long. I think he isn't going to be in such huge trouble in one of these episodes and they're going to have to bail him out. I really do. Yes. He is so sweet and so innocent. I mean, he is gung-ho and he's getting savvy quickly and he's all in, but I think he's going to have a real rut row surprise. Yeah. I don't think he quite realizes the scope of the power that he's dealing with. Well, the vaporizing should give him a pretty clear hint of that a good hint yes yeah. but it can be a whole lot worse than that even so <laughs> yeah so it'll be interesting i think that crane will probably save him and then he'll be gaga over crane again for a little while but <laughs> some of the fawning seemed to have worn off at least a little bit in this episode he's getting down to business now yeah but he didn't have crane there to interact with oh uh, no that's so true that may have been why he wasn't quite so fanboyish but he also wasn't as gaga over Jenny this time either. True. And it's interesting because he apparently he was uh, getting bored with his position in the vault. He had read through all the stuff, but he was looking at, for something a little bit more exciting, like the Library of Congress. So I think he's just an information sponge. He's just very interested in everything that he can read and he can learn. Because I can't imagine that the Library of Congress would be anywhere near as fun as the vault. I mean, there would be like no secret tunnels to go and map out. Right. 
So, but yeah, I think he's going to get himself in trouble. I think he's going to need some rescuing, but I also think that ultimately he's going to learn uh, and use his, his skill sets, all the things he's going to learn on the supernatural to help bail somebody out before the end of the season. And my bet is on, he's going to help bail out Jetty. Right. That's just my guess. And I'm not shipping him. No. Okay. So, uh, Steve, it was kind of hard to have some ickyisms when a uh, crane was, a. Uh, cocooned more or less but what did we have this right week? and on trial so <laughs> yeah that wasn't very fun no not a lot of great uh witty lines from crane but he did have one where he came back to came back at henry and said very well shall we play this game yeah and of course i tweeted out shall we play a this game <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> little uh shout out there now, of course, most of the rest of the great lines came from Jake and Alex. Well, wait, you have access to the Smithsonian storage units? Well, if by access you mean do we have a way to sneak in and take stuff without people knowing, then yeah, we got access. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> <laughs> and we always put everything back, mostly everything. Yeah, that was good too. <laughs> Jake is so funny. I mean, how often do you get to use 10th century Chinese torches to cut a man out of the despair creature's psychic web, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I get, you know, Jake is just the perfect addition uh, this season. I, I really am enjoying his character. Yes, absolutely. And I think because his character is going to be kind of the comic relief, Crane won't have to be, the, be it as much. Where almost all of last season, any comedic moments in any of the episodes were almost all coming from crane and it was some of the fans were going yeah we don't want crane to be the buffoon all the time yes season one when he was dealing with new stuff and technology yeah that that was great but he's been around now for three years that technology isn't going to be as funny anymore because he's used to it now well and i think also he had a much more serious demeanor and should have had because he lost Abby. Right. His partner, his dear friend, his witness, soulmate. And there has to be some grief in there. Yes, he has to soldier on, but you still have some grief. He's still he was looking for the witness. He found the witness. It's a child. That's more of a burden to protect the child. I don't want to lose all the humor. And I think that again seeing him last week trying to assemble a bed from IKEA. <laughs> yeah. And I think that we'll have more moments in there, but I agree that it needs to be spread because he doesn't have someone to bounce them, these lines off of the way that he did with Abby in the past. Right, right. So those dynamics had to change a little bit. All right. What have you got for our history lesson, Barb? All right. Uh, Steve, uh, we saw Grace Dixon at Valley Forge, and so I'm going to talk about the women present at Valley Forge after I give a little introduction to Valley Forge itself. Now, Valley Forge was the site of a six-month encampment of the Continental Army of the newly formed United States of America under the command of General George Washington, and it's only a few miles from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Now, no battle was fought here, but from December 19, 1777 to June 19, 1778, the men overcame low morale and hardships to survive a long and difficult winter. It was where a new, confident, professional American army was born. They had three months of shortage and hardship. Uh, again, throughout that winter where so many people died, 
and that was followed by three months of relative abundance that led to changes in the morale and fighting capabilities of the Continental Army. It was at Valley Forge that a vigorous, systematic training regime transformed ragged amateur troops into a confident 18th century military organization capable of beating the Redcoats in the open field of battle. Now, there were also women who were instrumental in supporting the troops. And I just wanted to go through a few of the women who served the new America at Valley Forge. Now, Abigail Adams had written to her husband, John, to remember the ladies during the Continental Congress, and that had to include the many women who played a vital role during that winter encampment. So first of all was Martha Washington. She joined her husband for part of each winter encampment that he intended, including the 1777 to 1778 encampment at Valley Forge. She arrived at the beginning of February and left in the beginning of June. Now, according to Pierre Dupont-Sue, the secretary to Baron von Steuben, and he wrote, In the midst of all our distress, there were some bright-sided of the picture which Valley Forge exhibited. Mrs. Washington had the courage to follow her husband to that dismal abode. And that would certainly send a lesson. Now, Catherine or Katie Littlefield Green, the wife of General Nathaniel Green, entertained other officer wives and took part in the celebration of the French-American Alliance on May 6, 1778, so she was there. Hannah Till was an African-American slave who worked as a cook and servant at Washington's headquarters during the encampment. Her wages for her work were paid to her master until she was able to redeem her freedom in June of 1780. Elizabeth Thompson was an Irish woman well into her 70s, working as a housekeeper to General Washington from 1776 to 1781. She managed all the cooks and servants and was involved in the packing and unpacking of the household goods for Washington's many headquarters throughout the war, including Valley Forge. Now, women also earned wages by tending to the sick and the wounded. One nurse named Jane Norton, who was trying to obtain her pension, mentioned that she did serve caring for the sick and wounded during the encampment uh, that winter. Polly Cooper was a young woman who came to Valley Forge, and she assisted the soldiers caring for the sick and the dying. As a thank you for her service, Martha and George Washington presented her with a black shawl. Now, one other woman, Mary Hayes, who was also known as Molly Pitcher. She was the daughter of a New Jersey dairyman and was married at the age of 13 to a barber named William Hayes. Her husband enlisted in the Pennsylvania Artillery, and Mary joined him during the Philadelphia Campaign. Now, during the Battle of Monmouth, her husband was wounded, and she took over firing the artillery. And she also was with her husband at Valley Forge. Now, one quote from Thomas Paine was this, Let it be told to the future world that in the depth of winter, when nothing but hope and virtue could survive, that the city and the country alarmed at one common danger, came forth to meet and to repulse it. And the links for this can be found at ushistory.org, Historic Valley Forge, and a link to the nationalparkservice.gov, the women present at Valley Forge. Plenty for you to read about during that time of despair in the early days of our country. Fantastic job, as always. Thank you, Steve. So let's move on to the feedback. Did we get any this week? Oh, yeah, we've got some good feedback. Justina's, please get well very soon. She was a little under the weather this weekend and couldn't do audio, but definitely sent us some feedback. That episode gets nine out of 10 pieces of pizza against the rules. I love seeing John Noble again, and it was nice to have the opportunity for Ichabod to talk to his son again. I love that they're using flashbacks to give new fans an idea of this rich history this show has. 
If any new fans are interested, the entire series is streaming on Hulu. Have a great week. Thanks, Justina. And get yourself well soon. Amen. All right. We had some feedback on Facebook as well. Julie Gilbert, love seeing John Noble again. I got a bit of a Stephen King vibe this time around, thanks to the Spidey stuff. That See, monster that's... totally reminded me of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd give it nine jars of icky Spidey goo. Yeah, it's all Stephen King, really icky stuff. Yes. We also had Bonita, and she said, OMG. She actually gave us two feedbacks. OMG, I am just more than halfway on catching up, but so far this episode is fabulous. And then later she said, done, so good. I was so worried the season would be unable to recapture the magic, but honestly, this new direction is looking very promising. We agree, Bonita. And our Twitter question of the week was, what will the Spidey goo do next? Pamela Edwards came back and said, come back to haunt us. Ooh, I think it will. <laughs> Julie Gilbert, I have no idea, but whatever it is, it definitely be no good, good for Team Witness. Yeah, I think we can all agree to that. And then Justina said, the spider goo will bust out of the jar and infect someone in government, maybe the president. Oh, now that's a real interesting idea. It could do that too, couldn't it? Yeah, because we think that... Uh... We do believe that the president is still at risk, at least from headless. And who knows right. Who knows what else could be lurking around D.C.? Yeah, I'm sure there's going to be more. And yeah, we would not want to see a team up of Spidey and headless. Nope. All right. We want to welcome our new followers on Twitter as well as Facebook. And thanks for all the retweets, favorites, and interaction. This week's shout outs go to Philip is Cove, Sleepy Hollow TV, Sleepy Hollow Riders, Sleepy Hollow Attic, Tilt a Whirly Bird, Kelly Bream, Annette Nugget, Superhero Speak, Debbie Lamb, Deb K, Joyce Williams, Michelle McKeever, Danny, Finlay Bradley, Pamela Edwards, WTS Fan, Kathleen A, Ava DeGolia, SHF Fan123, Theo Travers, Giannis Stilinski, Peace, Love, and Hope, Carolyn, Tiffany T, Laura Wall, Anthony B. Manelli, Triple J. Higgins, and Bonita. How can they get a hold of us, Barb? Well, let me give them our contact information, Steve. Our voicemail number is 304-837-2278, or you can go to goldenspiralmedia.com backslash feedback, where you can use the SpeakPipe widget on the side of the page to record audio, or you can even typey-typey out your feedback on the form. You can even attach audio feedback. Now, our feedback deadline is Saturday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Or you can also leave your comments on our Facebook page, which is Witness Prophecies. And you can even find us on Twitter at Witness Prof GSM. Steve is at Salyer Steve, and I am at Tangier14. All right. We've come to that time of the podcast where we discuss future episodes. So if you don't want to be spoiled, run, run as if the Spidey Demon is coming after you. All right. Visions of the future. Episode 5, Blood from a Stone. As Dreyfus gets closer to making progress on his mission, important parts of his past come to light. His former partner returns to settle the score from years before, and it becomes evident that Dreyfus' involvement in the supernatural is not something new. Yeah, and I think that his partner is dead by the end of the episode. That would be my Yeah, bet. I think Joby will take care of that for him real quick. Probably will. Okay, Episode 6 is going to be... Homecoming that will be shown on Friday, February the 10th. When the team realizes that the Talesmen, which 
Dreyfus seeks might be hidden in the most obvious of places, they race against the clock to find it before the evil forces are aligned. Then, with heightened emotions and bittersweet memories, Jenny and Crane revisit important parts of their past as they return to Sleepy Hollow. So that is going to be very emotional going back to uh, Sleepy Hollow. And I know that we've, I think we talked about this last week. I do not yes. see Abby and Jenny's father in the cast. Listed, right. Yeah, but he could show up. However, I do see that we're going to get Edwin Hodge back as Benjamin Banneker. So that should be a right. lot of fun. Yes. Episode seven, Loco Parentis. Latin for in place of a parent refers to the legal responsibility of a person or organization to take on some of the functions and responsibilities of a parent. So maybe we will see Molly's father. Mm-hmm. Looks like it. Yeah. Just before Molly's 11th birthday, her father returns from duty. As Diana begins to wonder if her ex might be ready to be part of his daughter's life full time, the team has a shocking realization. <laughs> Uh-oh. This episode airs on Friday, February 17th. So we're still, looks like we're running on, running him straight through. But yeah, gosh, I wonder if he's going to have some evil supernatural ties. Or actually, no, maybe that's where they find out that. Find out that, yes. Yes, yes <laughs> that that's where the relation is. Oh, mm-hmm. baby. Yeah, that could be a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. Okay, now we just have some titles. Episode 8 is going to be Sick Burn. Episode 9, Child's Play. Number 10 is Insatiable. 11 is The Way of the Gun. 12 is Tomorrow, and I think you've heard something about this one. Right. It's a near future if Dreyfus takes control, and we should see the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse and a really creepy-looking setup. So, And that will be the penultimate episode for the season, so it sounds like that'll be really great. Yes. And the season finale is entitled Freedom. Wow. We have a lot to look forward to. Yes, we do. Please review and rate us on iTunes with good ratings and reviews. It helps other fans of the show find us as there are other Sleepy Hollow podcasts out there. To subscribe in iTunes to any GSM podcast, go to goldenspiralmedia.com slash iTunes. Tell your friends, and we really do hope you're enjoying our podcast. This is Steve. And what did you hear? Abby. Abby's words. Molly's voice. And this is Barb signing out, and don't ever give up hope. See you next week, sleepyheads.